This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today, in Jesus' name. Psalm 53 is a very short psalm, but that being said, as with many of the psalms that are well-known, this is a well-known psalm, and it's a well-known psalm because many of the verses in it, although there's only six, many of the verses in it you've heard, and you you may have even memorized one or two of them. I've memorized, there's a couple of them in here that... uh, are in my memory bank, and the reason I say that is because I want you to I want you to uh, to memorize the Word of God. It's like having a, a secret weapon in your heart to deal with the attack of the enemy. It's a secret weapon in your heart to teach you to walk with God, and it's a secret weapon in your heart that moves you and makes you who you are. It refines you, it hones you, and so um, memorizing the Word is a powerful tool that God uses in your heart. Later, if you do not know his word, the Jews memorize God's word in the Old Testament and still do to memorize it in massive amounts. And the reason is, is so that it can be on your heart, uh, so that it can be hidden in your heart, and so that it can be ever before you, so that uh, when situations arise, God readily has his revelation in your mind and in your heart to use so that he can reveal himself and show himself in the situations that you see and in the uh, goings and comings of life. And Isaiah, Psalm 53 is the same. He says, uh, to the chief musicians set to Mahalath. Now, I'm sure I didn't say that exactly right. And a contemplation of David. Now, notice this is something David was just out there thinking. He, he was as he think, as he's thinking. And he starts out with a very known line. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have done abominable iniquity. And the truth is, when a person says there is no God, what they're really saying is that I am God. Um, I have found, and, and this is just something that was a meditation of my heart. I have found that, that everybody worships something, and whatever they worship it generally falls in three, three categories. They either worship God, and some people worship God that is um, not the one true God, but they do worship what they call God, okay? And and they worship God, or people worship the created things, whatever that is, whatever that may be. They worship, they may worship, they may worship uh, their job, they may worship some person, they may worship their home. They may worship some substance, alcohol, things like that. They may even worship something that they think is God, but is not, but is a fallen angel. I think that is true of many false religions, that many of the other religions that actually they are worshiping uh, a revelation by a fallen, a fallen angel under Lucifer, or, or they worship their own 
ideas, their own thoughts. But mainly, I found that people rarely worship, rarely worship the created as much as they worship themselves. And they are created also, so that's a subcategory of everything that is created. But they worship themselves. And ultimately, many people love them some them so much that they are their own idol. And that can take the form in all kinds of ways. But when he says here, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, usually and almost exclusively, that means that they have decided to worship either, either the created things around them or themselves. And they've thrown God aside because they love themselves. He said, the fool has said in his heart, that, and so when that happens, they are corrupt and have done abominable iniquity. There is none, now notice he, he transitions and he says, there is none who is who does good. God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there is any who understands who seek God. So we've got a transition from the fool who said in his heart, there is no God and that mankind is full of iniquity. And then he says, there is none who does good. And, and this is a, a, an Old Testament and a New Testament understanding that the heart of man is replete with wickedness. And, and that is of all the things, of all the things in scripture that offends those who have set themselves up as God. The thing that is most offensive to them is the idea that they are completely sinful, that they are utterly full of iniquity. That, that is the thing that offends them. And let me tell you, that is the thing that upsets them most with Christians. It's not the idea that Christians believe in sin. It's not the idea that even Christians believe that they have a true understanding of how things actually are. It is that Christians believe that fundamentally humanity is mired in utter and complete sin. That is the thing in life that that those who worship themselves, and in modern times we've come up with a word and it's called humanist, but really it's just a person is worships themselves and they are number one and they're the most important thing, period, end of story. He said, God looks down from heaven upon children of men to see if there are any who understand and who seek God. <clears throat> Notice what he says, every one of them has turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, no, not one. And, and that is a fundamental hill to down teaching of scripture. That is a fundamental hill to down teaching of scripture. The total corrupt station that man finds himself in after Adam sinned in the garden. The depravity of man, and that's important. The depravity of man is a fundamental building block of scripture, that man has no way of attaining to God on his own. That is the fundamental teaching of scripture that comes after the primary teaching of scripture, the, the first teaching of scripture, that God is sovereign and creator of all things and owner of all things. God's sovereignty, and then you have man's depravity. God's sovereignty, man's depravity. That's the of, of, of all time. And understanding that, soaking that in, that man is completely depraved outside of God, completely lost outside of God, completely separated outside of God, unable not only 
to attain to God, unable to realize the depth of the depravity that man is in, and finally, unable to even consider a, a method by which to fix the problem. Totally unable to, totally separated, totally cut off, totally unable to uh, fix the problem. It said every one of them has turned aside. They have together become corrupt. All of them together have come, become corrupt. There is no one who does good, no, not one. And that's a verse that I've memorized in, in, in my memorization of scripture. Every one of them is turned aside, but the main thing is there is no one who does good, no, not one. Each is turned to his own wicked ways. Um, he says, and then David says, have the workers of iniquity no knowledge? Meaning, have they no, no insight? <clears throat> have they no understanding? And what he's saying is, as they walk around in their iniquity <clears throat> and in their humanism, as they walk around in all that, do they not understand? Do they not see? Who eat up people as they eat bread? And, and that is, that, that is that, what he's saying is they walk around in their depravity and they destroy people as if they're eating a meal. It's just no big deal. And even in modern times, some of the things that I find not understandable, and not only is it not understandable, I understand why it exists because man is utterly wicked. He's the depravity of man is, is the fundamental understanding of scripture and that man is, is has no way of understanding God. But even in the movements that are of today, and one of them, one of one of the movements of today, that well, the main movement of, of the hour states that a certain group of people and their lives matter. And of course, that's true that life that all life matters to God, all and theirs also. But that movement would also espouse two two totally different things. They would espouse that that abortion is good, although that group of people have abortions at a rate three and four times greater than their numbers in the population. So apparently their lives matter except in the one. And that group of people would also espouse that there be nobody out there to protect and defend and to provide law and order in major cities where, where hundreds of them are shot and hundreds of them are killed every weekend every weekend. And we're not just talking about one city, we're talking about all the major cities in the United States. Hundreds of them are killed every weekend. So if you're telling me that there that your life matters, then you need to espouse just like I do, you need to espouse that we need to quit killing ourselves and we need to quit killing our children because that brings about a culture of death. And a culture of death pervades all of society when you don't value yourself. And he has, he, the workers of iniquity have no knowledge, why? Because they just push their own agenda for their own power. They just push my agenda so that I might be empowered. And that will be to the exclusion of the people who are against me, but ultimately that will also be to the exclusion of those who are for me because it'll never work out the way that they think it'll work out. That will not work, work out that way. It'll only work to destroy themselves. And <clears throat> and by the way, I, I'm against abortion because all babies are killed. The stain of abortion on this country is, the stain of abortion on this world is ghastly. 
and, and appalling to know that over 40 million babies are killed in this. And you say, you bring us up all the time, Chad. I know because it's the great sin of our time. It's the great, it's the great disaster of the age. It's, it's, it is unbelievable that we as a society and a culture and that the world would allow, we talk about the first world war and the second world war and the, the number that were killed in the first world war and the second world war. And we kill that many babies every year. It's appalling. And that's why the workers of iniquity, the workers of iniquity have, have no knowledge. They eat people as they eat bread. Is he wrong? He's right. As do not, and do not call upon God. They, they totally separated themselves from God. There, there they are in great fear where no fear was. Meaning the, the minute you begin to work in iniquity, fear is the driving force of everything you do. And, and the way you operate and the way you live is both in fear and using fear against others. Um, for God has scattered the bones of him who encamps against you. You have put them to shame because God has despised them. And what happens is this process ultimately begins to eat itself. Any man made to gain power, to gain strength, to gain control always ends up eating itself and causing ruin and death on those who propagate it. And it, and it happens for every system and every situation. It happened to the Egyptians with the Jews in Egypt. The truth is in this country, it happened, it happened in the Civil War. There had to be there had to be a, a, a destruction of the system that was oppressive. It was, it was so painful. It was so deadly to those who were under it. And you can go throughout history and the Inca Empire, you can go, you can go, you just keep going, the Ottoman Empire, you just keep going through the Babylonians, the Persians, they just keep going throughout history. And, and as you go throughout history, the oppression and the evil of the systems always end up caving in on itself and destroying those who propagate it. He said, because God has despised them. God despises those who worship created things and God despises those who worship themselves. He, he, he has made himself known to them in their heart. And that's another pillar of scripture that God has written his law on men's heart and men know him and, and they know the truth, even though they reject it and despise it and hate it. They know it, and yet they worship him not, and so there is there there is a uh, there there is a cutoff, and man has no excuse. And so, when you think about that, you've got the sovereignty of God, the depravity of man, and man having no excuse. There's no excuse for it. He says, "Oh, that salva the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion." Notice he's looking forward to the salvation of Israel to come out of the power of Israel to come out of the place of hope in Israel. And that actually is going to happen in his perspective. In our perspective, it has already happened 2,000 years ago. We sit, he sits about around 1,000 years before it happens and we're 2,000 years after it's happened. And Jesus is the answer to that. He says, when God brings back the captivity of his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. And, and, what, what David is talking about is when God sets us free from this iniquity, from this corruption of sin, and there's, the, there's one of the 
final cornerstones. You got the sovereignty of God, the depravity of man being without excuse, God providing a way through Jesus Christ. And that way gets us out of this spiral of sin and death, this foolishness uh, that there is no God. And, and the pinnacle event in human history is the empty tomb. And if Jesus be raised from the dead, then he is Lord and Lord of all. And we know that Jesus is the pinnacle figure of human history. He's the pinnacle event in, in human history. And even in the modern, even in the modern day, we know that he, and when his name is mentioned, it, it, it dissipates, it ends certain. He is preeminent. He is above all, and he has died to set all right. And we're going to study tonight him beginning the process of setting things in the end. But that process is going to begin when, and we who worship the one true God, and even in our own personal walk with him, we struggle against not worshiping created things and not worshiping ourselves. We struggle to learn to worship him. That's why he says, when God brings back the captivity of people, let Jacob and Israel be glad. And he calls out, oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. And what is God saving us from? He's saving us from our self-indulgent worship of ourselves. He's saving us from the worship of created things that spoil, that die, that, that are stolen, that are corruptible. And he brings us into an understanding and a worship of a holy God, a true God that uh, can teach us, can guide us, can make us into it, back into his ways and ultimately provide us with the best that he has prepared for us before he made anything. And I need to be saved from my own worship of myself and I need to be saved from my own worship of created things and I need to ultimately worship him. And so if that is the case, and we know it is what a great song this is. And the next one is going to be a very short one also. We'll do that Monday, Psalm 54. And if that is true, understanding those fundamental principles, we know that ultimately God's working his will and his way out. And he's going to work his will and his way out in the situation that we see uh, going on around us today. I find oftentimes that, the, that Satan uh, puffs up, he blows a lot of smoke, and then all of a sudden smoke clears and you realize that his work and his ways are nothing. And boy, there's a lot of smoke being blown right now, but the actual end of things is not as they would have you appear, have you think they appear, but the end of things is always in the control of Jesus because what is the first and fundamental principle of scripture? That God is sovereign. God is sovereign. It is the fundamental beginning point. God is everything. In beginning, God. In beginning, God. He is first, foremost in everything. And so he's who we seek and he's who we worship. We don't worship our country, but we love our country. We don't worship ourselves, but we love ourselves. We don't worship, we don't worship each other, but we love each other as we love ourselves. And we don't worship uh, the things that we have because those are just the blessings of God and we don't worship the blessing of God. We worship God himself. And so ultimately we learn through the process of worshiping him brings about all good things. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you 
and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.